This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Come with me, please, then, to Genesis chapter 2. And we'll give you a verse in a moment. Genesis chapter 2. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is the most glorious message that a human being could ever receive. It is the grandest theme. It is the best news. It is the center and circumference of all of our preaching and teaching. At the heart of it all is the gospel. Old Graham Scroggy called it the unfolding drama of redemption. That's a lovely term, isn't it? The unfolding drama of redemption. And it begins to unfold right from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. And it still can melt the hardest heart and can cleanse the vilest sinner clean. It can change and transform a man or a woman. If you were to ask to sum up this unfolding drama of redemption in just a nutshell, in just a few words, you could simply put it this way. Three words, formed, deformed, transformed. All of the gospel can be summed up in those three words, formed, deformed, transformed. So let's have a look at those three terms tonight, all right? Formed, Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God spoke the worlds into existence, but he formed man. When it came to creating man, God got personally hands-on involved in creating man. He spoke everything into existence, but he formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. So he got personally hands-on involvement in creating man. No other creature was given such attention as man. Man was his masterpiece. Man was the apex of all of his creation. Man was to be made in his very own image. Why? Why? Revelation 4.11 makes it very clear. You're worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things and for your pleasure. They are and they were created. There you have it. We were created for God's own pleasure. The catechism says that man's chief aim is to glorify God and to love him forever. And so you're created to glorify God. That's the purpose and that's the reason for our existence. And until and unless we find that purpose, we'll never be satisfied with this life. This life can never satisfy us anyway because we're made for another world. 
We're simply passing through this. But the stuff of eternity is in us. And that's the way that God made us. And so men looking for meaning to life, they instinctively know that there has to be a point to this. No matter how much they deny it, they instinctively know there has to be a reason and a purpose and a point for this life. We surely can't be some kind of cosmic accident. We're not some kind of fluke of nature. But why would man not believe in God? Why would he not believe that we're made for God's glory? Why would he not believe that we were born to give God pleasure? There is a dilemma. Because to believe that, then it prompts the question, what are you going to do about it? And there's the rub, there's the dilemma. Who will I live for? Will I live for God or will I live for myself? Who will control my life? Will it be God or will it be me? Because that's what it comes right down to in the end, isn't it? There's the dilemma. When you get it right down to it, that's what happens. We read Romans 1, 18 to 34 this morning, so we'll not read that again tonight. But in that, it shows us that God revealed himself in nature, and man refused to accept it was God. He had every opportunity. He had the knowledge of it, but he denied it. He suppressed it. He put it down. He pushed it back. He would not acknowledge God in nature, in creation, and he's still doing that today. Why? Because once you acknowledge God as the creator, what's the follow-on from that? Before Christ will ever be your redeemer, you have at the very least acknowledged God as the creator. So that's why Paul says man is inexcusable. Atheism is such a sad existence, really, because it's meaningless and it's pointless. Ken Ham, who was in the province just there, Last week, I didn't get the chance to go here, but I've heard him before. I just read this little article, How Do Atheists Find Meaning? He says, Atheism is a belief that there is no God and no afterlife. Atheists believe they simply cease to exist when they die and that the universe is simply the result of natural processes. He said, I pointed out many times before that, ultimately, atheism is purposeless and meaningless. He says, recently, Tom Chivers, a writer of BuzzFeed UK, asked many different atheists this question. Here's the question. If there's no afterlife or reason for the universe, how do you make your life matter? Because life has to matter. The atheist responses were heartbreaking and highlight how meaningless atheism really is as each atheist struggled with the belief that if death is all there is, you're dead and that's it, then life really doesn't have any ultimate purpose. Every atheist that answered the question appealed to some kind of purpose and meaning in the things they do while alive or the people they have relationships with. So they basically claim that life has no meaning, but we can create our own meaning in the present. Of course, from their perspective, once they die, then they won't know that they had any meaning when they were alive anyway. So what's the point? What's it all about? Here's some of the responses. When asked the question, if there's no afterlife or reason for the universe, how do you make your life matter? Here's some of the answers. Life isn't for anything, but it does matter. <laughs> 
there's a contradiction in terms, isn't it? It isn't for anything. It's meaningless. There's nothing. But wait a minute, it does matter. <laughs> Secondly, physically filling yourself with the food that you love really does fill the emptiness you may feel inside. <laughs> the pointlessness of life is not a thing to be overcome. It's something to be celebrated now because that's all there is. What scripture does that remind you, remind you of? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. In other words, just live for now because there's nothing after this. A meaningless universe does not mean that we live our lives without purpose. I'm an atheist, but I try to live my life replete with purpose. But wait a minute. He said it doesn't have any purpose, that it's meaningless, that the end is the end. So all these contradict each other. This is how, that is how I find meaning and purpose in what might seem a meaningless and purposeless existence by concentrating on what I can do and the differences I can make in the lives of those around me in the short time that we have. Why? What would be the point? If we're just molecules and chemicals, what would be the point? Being an atheist means coming to grips with reality. And the reality is twofold. We're going to die as individuals and the whole of humanity unless we find a way to colonize other planets. It's going to go extinct. So there are lots of things that we have to deal with that we don't like. We just come to grips with the reality. Life is the result of natural selection and death is a result of natural selection. We are evolved in such a way that death is almost inevitable. So you just deal with it. <laughs> but they don't say how you deal with it. There was no heaven or hell. No magic man in the sky, and I was the sole captain of my ship. Ham goes on to say, ultimately, of course, none of these things create any ultimate meaning or purpose. It is their atheist belief system. Life becomes all about the here and now because there's nothing else that matters. So ultimately, nothing matters at all. By the way, if that's the case, why do they even bother to aggressively go after Christians? If none of this matters... And we all die and that's the end of it. Why all the fuss about Christians? That alone reminds us it is really a spiritual battle. The Bible makes it clear that everyone knows that God exists. Because of this, those who rebel against God, like these atheists, actually suppress the truth as explained in Romans 1. The fact that they become so aggressive against Christianity confirms this suppression of the truth that is a spiritual battle. There's a question of eternity that lingers in all of our hearts. Scripture says, Ecclesiastes 3.11, that God has put eternity in our hearts. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, stated that without God, all of life is vanity or meaningless. God has given each of us, made in His image, the longing for eternity, the longing for ultimate purpose and meaning because there is eternity and there is ultimate purpose and meaning. And it can only be found in a relationship with Him formed to give him pleasure to know him to love him to serve him to follow him second word is deformed formed and then deformed Genesis 3 man became spiritually deformed through sin and through Satan he lost his God given Greatness. He who was made in the image of God is now marred in spirit, in personality, 
and his body has lost its glory and had to be covered. Sin and mortality now ruled. Now he runs and he hides from God. His relationship with God and even with his wife is damaged. It isn't too long after that till you see jealousy and envy and anger and pride and even murder. Cain slew Abel. And so within Earth's first family, immediately that sin has deformed the human spirit. It's been ruined. And as Adam was the federal head of humanity, every man since is born with a spiritual deformity. Our spirit has been deformed. But what the first Adam lost, the last Adam recovered, thank God. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, but the last Adam was made a life-giving spirit. Adam was given life, but Christ gives life. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 47. The first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. As we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Isn't that lovely? We shall also bear the image of the heavenly, the image of Christ. In Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as though one man's offense as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Isn't that lovely? <coughs> what the first Adam lost, the last Adam recovered. What did Adam lose and what did Christ recover for us? First of all, he lost his connection. He was estranged from God in the garden. He was disenfranchised. Adam, where are you? He ran and hid from the presence of the Lord. 
first time ever there was separation between God and man. And it came immediately once he sinned. He lost the fellowship of God, but he didn't lose the friendship of God. Even though he had lost his fellowship, but he didn't lose God's friendship because God came looking for him. And God immediately set in motion this great drama of redemption that would save man. So we are recovered in Christ, 1 Timothy 2, 5. Therefore, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Hmm. Reached up and held the hand of God, reached down and held our hand and brought us together. One mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So even though Adam lost that connection with God that through Christ we have found our connection to God. And it's as simple as closing your eyes and breathing a prayer. It's as simple as that. Yes, we come to church. Yes, we read the Word of God. Yes, we do all of those things. But to bring it right down to its simplest act or connection with God is closing your eyes and breathing a simple prayer and immediately you're connected to your Heavenly Father. And Jesus did that for us. When you think what the Old Testament had to, uh, they had to go through in order to truly connect in that tabernacle in the wilderness, <laughs> What rituals, what sacrifices had to be made? And all we got to do is just pray and breathe that prayer. And we're right into his presence. Man lost his connection. Man lost his covering. He lost his covering. And he immediately, instinctively knew it and tried to cover himself with fig leaves. They were both naked and they were not ashamed but now they're naked and they are ashamed. And they instinctively try to cover themselves. And man ever since has been trying to cover his nakedness before a holy God. And he tries to cover it two ways. Through the fig leaves of religion or the fig leaves of reason. Religion is something that man... in a sense, craves and enjoys, by and large. Why? Because it's measurable. It's measurable because of all the do's, because of all the demands, and you can tick each box. So it's measurable. And that's why we can measure ourselves with others, that's what the Pharisee was doing in the temple. Whenever the tax collector was there, he was measuring himself against that man. He had ticked all these boxes. He had fasted twice in a week. He had paid these tithes of cumin and acid. He had ticked all the boxes. But that man over there, he didn't tick any box. But the religious man, he had all these things that he did. And that would gain him favor with God. He believed, he thought. So men love religion. They believe they can earn God's favor. And the more ritualistic it is, the better. The more things to do, the better. 
Whenever we in the Ukraine there just a couple of weeks ago, Clifford and I told you we were in that. We just walked into that big uh, Orthodox church, which is like a museum, by the way. But whenever we were leaving it, there was a lady came, elderly lady. She wasn't going in it. She was just walking past it. And we watched, and she made the sign of the cross seven times. And my guess is every single time she would pass that, she'd make the sign of the cross seven times. It was measurable. She could count it. She could take that off the list that day. God will be pleased with that. You go in, and you pray to each saint. You take that box. God will be pleased with that. The Jews were no better. Whenever you read the book of Hebrews, they were in danger of going back to Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews warns them about that. But because they had the temple, they had the sacrifices, they had the priesthood, they had all the accoutrements, they had all the ritual, they had all the customs, they had all of that. But when they became Christians, they had none of that. And when they came under pressure through persecution, they were missing that. They could measure themselves with that. Now they had to live by faith. Man tries to cover himself with religion. He tries to cover himself with reason or rationalism. Listen to what the scripture says, Colossians 2.8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. Ah, rationalism. Reasoning. Now, there's a sense that reason is good until we reason God out of it. Come, let us reason together, said the Lord. So God reasons with us. And it's good to reason. But this is reasoning God out and replacing that with some philosophy or some idea or whatever. That's rationalism. Galatians 5 Listen to what Paul said to the church of Galatia. Stand therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. If you become estranged from Christ, you attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith works through love. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. So others had come in, Judaizers had come in and try to get these people to go back. And I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. <coughs> there's religion for you. Colossians 2 and 8, there's rationalism for you. Man has lost his covering and he tries to cover it up with all these things. 
But Christ has recovered our covering because now we are covered in his robes of righteousness. We are covered in the blood of Christ. We're covered by the armor of God. So now we have our covering and it's his covering. Man has lost his direction. Genesis 3, 8. He ran and he hid from the presence of the Lord. He is lost. He's on the broad road. He's not on the narrow road. And many today are lost. I was, gonna, I was either going out of this church or into this church one day. I forget. It's a long time ago. But I remember getting to the door, and it was before the, the traffic lights was put up here. And there's a man who stopped his car, and he kind of pipped the horn. And I looked in, and he backed me over, and he wound the window down, and he says to me, I'm lost. Can you help me? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a good term to use to a preacher? I'm lost. Can you help me? Yes, I can. <laughs> that was tailor-made. My, my former pastor, one time he was in America, and uh, you know the way we write our, our, our date of birth? You know it's day, month, and year. Well, the Americans write it month, day, year. So that was the way around. And he had his passport, and then he had another piece of paper. I think it was a separate visa at the time. And, and both were on it. You know, the American way and the, and the British way. And the man says to him, he says, Oh, sir, he says, I see you have two birthdays. <laughs> Imagine saying that to a preacher. Yes, I have two birthdays. Let me tell you about them. <laughs> but man is lost and he's obsessed with the stars and finding his future and what's out there. And is there aliens out there? Is there what's, you know, he's just totally obsessed. Why? Because he's lost. He doesn't know where he's going. And there's an old saying, if you're lost, you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And it's just any road, because they have no idea where they're going. Lost his direction. But it's recovered in Christ. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you want to go to the Father, you've got to come by me. I'm the direction. I'll show you the way, because I am the way. He's the narrow way. He's the straight gate, isn't he? And then quickly, man had lost his deathlessness. Genesis 2.17, In the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Yes, we know now. Spiritually, he died at that moment. But over 900 years later, he died physically as well. He lost his deathlessness. He was now mortal, subject to death. Isn't it wonderful to know that God originally created man to live forever, to live eternally? And isn't it wonderful to know that through Christ that that's exactly what we'll do, live forever, live eternally? But temporarily, man lost his deathlessness. And I said this morning in another context how we try to deal with death. Not very well. We, we try to deny it. We try to cover it. We try to dress it up. We try to do everything to, 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 not, to soften it. Uh, so many uh, funerals today, it's not hymns that's played. It's worldly songs and it's football tunes and people go dressed with football shirts up and... You know, where Martin's dad is buried, there's a grave, and I'm sure he's seen it, not very far from him. And it's a wee man from Belfast. Don't know who he is, and he died. And you know why now, you know, they have these graves, you know, they have, you know they have, they're all very arty and sculptured and all the rest of it. 
Well, they have this, you know, normally you maybe stick a photograph on it. They have his photograph on it, and then he's holding a big can of Guinness. And somebody has left a big can of Guinness on the tombstone. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can hardly believe it. I said this morning about Lennon lying in his tomb there. He's been lying there for 91 years, embalmed, like a glass figure. And when I said, Lennon, a young lady in this church this morning, who shall remain nameless? So I'll be very careful in the direction I'm looking. I'm looking all around. <laughs> Thought I was talking about John Lennon. <laughs> Not right, sir? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Vladimir Lenin. <laughs> Some people are freezing themselves with cryogenics, hoping that science and will find some magic cure to bring them back to life and to heal all their diseases. Ten, tens of thousands to do it as well. Foolishness, isn't it? But it's all to, to try to stop death and its tracks and we can't do it because we're death doomed. Man loth his deathlessness. But thank God Christ recovered it. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. <laughs> Whoever believes in me shall never die eternally. <laughs> what a great comfort that is when you're taking funerals, particularly of believers, to know that one day, they will receive that resurrection body. In Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The last Adam was made a life-giving spirit. So we're going to get that deathlessness back again. And we're going to live forever and forever and forever. And we'll never grow old. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> I look at myself in the mirror sometimes and I say, who is that fella? Don't recognize him. What's that about? But there'll come a point where we'll never will be in the vigor of our youth again, never to die. Wonderful. Man lost his dominion. Genesis 1.28, man was made to rule over the earth and on the earth, but he lost his dominion, he lost his authority, he subjected it to the evil one. Hmm. Recovered in Christ. Luke 10.19, behold, I give you power, exousia, I give you right, I give you authority over all the power, the might of the enemy, Nothing shall by any means hurt you. But you shall receive power, might, dynamis, after that the Holy Spirit is come upon you. I mentioned briefly this morning, but it's true, 1 Corinthians 6. Apostle Paul was angry with the Corinthians. They become very carnal. One of the things he was angry about is they were taking each other to court. And he said, you shouldn't do this in front of unbelievers. Just suffer loss. If you, you know. But he said, why do you go to judges to sort this problem out? Is there not people 
within your church who's got wisdom to do this? Can you not go to fellow believers and sit down and have arbitration? Can you not do that? And if that doesn't work, then suffer loss. But don't go before the world and fight it out. Then he says, do you not know that one day you will judge the world? And then he says, do you not know that one day you will judge the angels? 1 Corinthians 6, you read it there. Are we ready for that? <laughs> that one day you'll judge the very angels. That's authority, isn't it? That's dominion. And Christ has given us that. Now, we haven't fully received all of that or entered into all of that, but one day we shall have that authority and that power given to us through Christ. Man not only lost his dominion, but he lost his domain. In Genesis 3, 23 and 24, they lost their dwelling place. God had to put them out of the garden lest they touch the tree of life now and that they live forever sinfully. So he puts them out. He puts flaming cherubims to make sure they don't touch. And he drives them out of the garden. They lost not just their dominion, but they lost their domain, their place of dwelling. Now we're just strangers and pilgrims in this world. We're just simply passing through. But Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Better let it be afraid. In my Father's house are what? Many mansions, many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. Isn't it a human trait that we all like our place? You have your own seat in your house and woe betide anybody that sits in it. You have your own side of the bed. Somebody just has the middle of it. <laughs> but we have our place, don't we? When you walk in here on Sunday morning, you have your place. And if you're a wee bit late and somebody else is sitting in it, you don't know where to go. You're all of a flutter. Where do I go now? My seat's gone. Well, there's 20 at the front. Empty, come up here, but you don't want that. <laughs> there's visitors came to church this morning and they just they come in just a little bit late and, and there was loads of seats at the front, but I knew fine rightly. They looked and they thought, I don't want to go up and sit up there for them the first time. So we got them some seats at the back just to make them comfortable. But we're like that. I, I know who's missing just because the seat's empty. Sometimes I get bluffed. Sometimes you change your mind and you just maybe sit with a friend and I miss you and I think you're not here and you are here. But by and large in general, I just come in, look over the congregation. I know she's missing, he's missing. They're not there today. Why? Because your seat's empty. Because you always sit there. So next week you're going to bluff me. You're going to come in. You're going to change all seats and ruin my theory. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. Jason Dick, Jason's not here tonight. He's, he's preaching for his dad in Donegal. When his dad at a church in Belfast, William's very, 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 uh, does things just in the spur of the moment sometimes. And 
he got fed up with people sitting in the same seat. And one Sunday morning, he got everybody to change. He got everybody on this side to go and sit on that side, and everybody on that side to go and sit on this side. So the worst thing he ever did. He says, I don't think they heard another word of preach that morning because <laughs> everybody, they were all, they were saying, I should be over there. No, I should be over there. You're in my seat. <laughs> I go to prepare a place for you, your own special place that will be yours, that will belong to you. I don't know what we're going to be doing in heaven all day long. We'll find that out when we get there. But I do know at some point I will have a place where I can be. I might let Sally come in once in a while. (laughs) If she's very nice and good. (laughs) But we'll have our own place. 2 Peter 3 talks about a new heavens and a new earth. The first earth was cleansed with a flood, but the new heavens and new earth, this earth will be cleansed a second time with fire, and it will be cleansed, and it will be new, and it will be fresh, it will be lovely. So, Formed, deformed, transformed. Not education, not reformation, transformation. Second Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Are being transformed, metamorpho which is where we get the word metamorphosis from. Meta implies change. Morphe is form. And metamorpho, this same word is used in Matthew 17 and Mark 9, where Jesus was transfigured before them. Where he began to shine with the glory of God. And literally before Peter, James, and John's eyes, they saw the glory of God upon him and he was shining No wonder Peter wanted to stay there. You and I are transformed on the inside. One day we'll be transformed on the outside. (laughs) I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And what power there is in the gospel of salvation. It changes us on the inside and it will eventually changes even on the outside. Our spirit man is changed and our outer body will be changed. No wonder this is a glorious gospel. Old W.E. Vine, the old scholar, New Testament scholar said that there are various ways to describe the gospel in the New Testament. First of all, with reference to God the Father. Romans 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Thessalonians 2.2 2 is called the gospel of God. It has its origin in and its authority is from God. 1 Timothy 1.11, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. And then with reference to the Lord Jesus, Mark 1.1, 1 1, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark, Romans 1.9, the gospel of the Son. Romans 15.19, the gospel of Christ. So what's that letting us know? That letting know the Father and the Son is all involved in this 
great gospel message of salvation. What about the Holy Spirit? Let me show you. Let me end up with this tonight. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's see them all working together regarding our salvation. In verse 3, from verse 3 to 6, here's the work of the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. There's the work of the Father. What about the work of the Son? Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him." In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And finally, the work of the Holy Spirit. In whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Hmm. Father planned it. The Son procured it. The Holy Spirit produced it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all involved in the gospel of salvation. And every one of them, all three, was involved in your and my salvation. Thank God for that. Amen? So isn't this a wonderful gospel we have? Isn't this the best news that you could ever tell another human being? Why are we so slow to tell it? It's the best news they're ever going to hear. You say, they may reject it, they may reject me, that's fine. Move on, Jesus says, wipe the dust from your feet and move on. Go to the next person. Somebody will receive. Somebody will come to Christ. Those of you who are on Facebook, if you're on my page, you'll see today that Mark, the Philippines, his little son Luke, wanted to get saved today. <laughs> coming home from church, he must have been thinking about it, start asking his dad questions. And he wanted to stop the van right there. And we wanted to do it while they were driving, that was it. Mark says, no, we better go home, son. <laughs> and he wanted to pray. And he rang me up. We were just in the door from church. And Mark says, look, there's something to tell you, Granda. And he says, what is it, son? He says, I'm a born-again Christian. <laughs> I'm a born-again Christian. Good son, I'm glad to hear that. That's great. <laughs> From the youngest to the eldest, 
We can be born again of God's Spirit, can't we? It's wonderful, great gospel. Lord, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you that it is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And Lord, we did believe and we were changed. And we give you thanks for that moment in our lives when you came in. We bless you for it. Lord, as we leave this building tonight, as we go into our work day tomorrow, we go, Lord, as your ambassadors, as your signposts, as your people, as your servants, as your children, sons and daughters. We go into a world that's lost, that's lost its way, that has no purpose and meaning. Help us, Lord, to inject something of the gospel into tomorrow. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.